Hello, and welcome to the IQT Podcast. I'm Dylan George, and I'm joined by my good friend, Dr. Caitlin Rivers, as a co-host for a special BNEC series on outbreak analytics and forecasting. You may be asking yourself, what is outbreak analytics and forecasting? Well, Caitlin and I will explore the topic with you. In this series, we will investigate what it is, how it has been used to help with pandemic response efforts, and what we need to improve these capabilities. Along the way, we will chat with a range of special guests who have developed or used advanced analytics for decision-making during outbreaks. These guests include world-class modelers that have worked to help understand pandemics and people who have been leading responses. We'll also talk with people working on technologies that could be useful for collecting, cleaning, aggregating, and analyzing data, the data that are needed for outbreak analytics and forecasting. So I think it'll be a fun series and we're excited about it and enjoy today's episode. Hello, everyone. My name is Dylan George. I'm a vice president at BNEXT, which is the biodefense initiative from IQT focused on preparing for and mitigating biological threats that impact national security. I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Caitlin Rivers, who's an assistant professor at Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health and the Center of Health Security. On the podcast today, we are joined by uh, Mikkel Marin from Mapbox. <clears throat> Mikkel, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for inviting me. Yeah. You know, it likely can go without saying that the rise and ubiquity of mobile devices has enabled the power of location. Uh, and what I mean by that is to say that many services today are location-based, local weather, road conditions, navigation, commuting status, uh, I, I suppose for those of us that remember when we actually commuted, um, but local news, et cetera. There's, there's lots of uh, uh, things that are enabled by knowing where you are. So much of our current economy is driven and enabled by these location-based uh, services or information. That's why talking with Mikkel from Mapbox today will be very interesting. Mapbox, as you can probably tell from their name, uh, they're a map company, um, but they're much more than that. Mapbox is a location data platform for mobile and web applications. They provide building blocks for others to use and add location features like map search navigation into apps, websites, or other services. And you may have heard of some of those that they have helped. Um, you know, small little companies like Facebook, Yahoo, Lonely Planet, New York Times, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's a pretty substantial list. In our conversation with Mikhail, we will be talking about their company and technology and specifically what they're doing or rather what they're also enabling others to do with the COVID response. So, uh, you know, Mikhail, really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. Yeah, great to be here. So to kick us off, Mikhail, I think we'd like to hear a little bit more about your background and how you came to do the work that you are currently involved in. Sure. Well, um, I started my my work as a, a software developer way back at the beginning of the web. Um, I worked at in the 90s <laughs> I at, at Yahoo. Um, and I think it, I was always um, seeking to do something more with my work. And I didn't quite know what that was. Uh, it was going to have a broader impact. And after I left Yahoo and was on my own for a little while and getting involved in, in open data and, and, and open source, um, discovered maps. And when I really, you know, this technology, all the, all the technology behind illustrating what's happening in our world, it all clicked. And this was really a way of, um, of, uh, 
applying my skills in a way that could could have an impact on the world. Obviously, there's nothing nothing more direct than representing it. So I um, got involved with a lot of different projects. I think most notably I, the OpenStreetMap project in um, some of the early days. And one of the things that I started um, pretty soon after encountering OpenStreetMap was uh, entity what became now humanitarian OpenStreetMap team, which works at the intersection of, of OpenStreetMap and humanitarian response. Um, that resulted in a, 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 the, the base map uh, for the Haiti response in 2010 was based in OpenStreetMap due to that work, and that that's only grown and grown. Um, I've done other work in community mapping. Uh, started a project along with my my wife called Map Kibera in Kenya and Africa, and where they're applying OpenStreetMap in some of the most um, you know really difficult life situations. These are urban slums, um, but doing uh, doing the work to represent those places which are so often invisible and, and unseen on the map. Um, so uh, that was a bit of my my background before before coming to to Mapbox. I also spent some time um, at the State Department as a Presidential Innovation Fellow, working with a a group there, which was also um, applying open data and open maps uh, for for humanitarian response. So when I did come to Mapbox, it was a real. It actually turned out to be a really natural fit and continuation of that that work. Such an interesting background. It does sound like you have an enormous amount of experience that's really well suited for the current times. Tell us a little bit more about what Mapbox does and, and how that works. Sure. Well, uh, the intro gave a pretty good, uh, pretty good survey of what we do. We, we build tools for, uh, for developers and designers to add maps to their applications, whether it's on the web or on mobile. Um, or even other platforms. These are tools which uh, people like to build with. Um, before I'll say a little bit more about about Mapbox, but just before um, before going into some of the, the products and such, the history of Mapbox is interesting. It's it's a lot of what drew me and many people who are here to work here. Before Mapbox was its own company, uh, there was an entity still exists and still does great work in DC called Development Seed. Who are working with the likes of the World Bank and World Food Program and NDI and others to do um, build beautiful websites, beautiful representations of data, um, elegant maps for things like monitoring the Afghanistan elections or tracking um, uh, the um, Horn of Africa um, uh, famine um, back in in early 2010s. And through that work um, of of building for these really you know, hard problems started to develop internally a product to, to serve those clients. And eventually the, you know, it was obvious that the utility of what Mapbox was building had a much broader um, applicability than, than um, just that, that sector, but it still remains a big part of what we do as a company and what, what I do. Mm. Um, but mm. in general, yeah, we have these building blocks. Uh, like I said, so there's, there's visual maps um, for, for all those platforms, uh, there's there's search capabilities. You need to know where um, you know where an address is or where where a uh, a place is. There's navigation tools, such as how, not only how to get to point A from point A to point B, but how to analyze accessibility of an entire place. Um, and we have newer newer things as well, like uh, our Vision SDK, which does um, 
image segmentation and, and image analysis on mobile devices. So as you were, you know, imagine driving around uh, a city, um, you can in real time understand what's on the road and build applications um, based off of that. Um, mm, and other cool. things as well connected to our to our data. Yeah. 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 Very very cool. <clears throat> Excuse me. So you know, you know so much of the response for COVID in particular, though, too, is really about location. You know, I mean, one's risk in COVID is largely dictated by the context, the the geographical context in which, you know, where, how many people are there? um, How are they behaving? Are they, do they have access to testing? Do they have access to um, um, uh, uh, healthcare, et cetera, et cetera? Um, and then, and then as we go into having a vaccine, it's going to be this idea of it's like, where can you find vaccines? I mean, all of these are location based issues. Um, and so can you tell us a little bit about what you all are doing to help with COVID or what you're enabling others to do with your services? Yeah, you, you are totally right. I've been through a number of, of crisis events and there's nothing, there's nothing that compares, of course. I mean, it, it's, it touches everyone in the world to some to some degree and um where you are and where resources are 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 critical um we started to engage um early on in february um to start with um looking at well where is the data um not only on on cases but on um uh where's the data on where uh hospital capacity is located um it's very you, everybody else, huh? Yeah. yeah and everybody, and everybody else like, is, is scrambling. I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm used to knowing that like our, our ideal, you know, perspective of what, um, what data is out there and is, it just does, is not represent the reality. Um, so we, we did some, we did a lot of, uh, where data scramble to see like, well, what, what data sets are going to be needed by, um, our partners uh, you know, on the on the community team, if they're going to do uh, work as well as our, our customers, um, and we very rap as the as the the um, epidemic spread and grew, uh, we very rapidly started to get lots of um, requests from from our partners and from our customers for help. Um, and this, you know, initially, of course, a lot of the, the focus was on just visualizing where where cases are once you've gotten the data. So this, you know, we worked with everyone from um, Health Map, uh, from uh, Boston Children's Hospital, Harvard University, to um, uh, the Weather Channel, who wanted to make sure that their mobile applications, which are all, all use use Mapbox, also would show um, um, COVID prevalence at a at a fine grained level. Um, and we really, as a company, like. Some days it felt like we were not a mapping company anymore. We were a COVID-19 mapping company because of the, the amount of focus, <laughs> which had, and the amount of people who suddenly shifted gears to yeah. um, support our, yeah. our customers. Uh, we spent a lot of time with the CDC on their travel warnings map. Um, we uh, most uh, just recently have been working with um, UN OCHA, Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs mm-hmm. um, to look at the yeah. you know, just high-risk countries, um, uh, humanitarian uh, where there's humani- active humanitarian responses. Make sure that their uh, their COVID map, which is using Mapbox, has 
you know, we, we try to just connect to all the expertise that we have here, whether it's um, uh, our cartography team, whether it's the people who know who are building the tools and who know the know the the mapping tools inside and out, so that the folks who want to um, communicate and talk about um, whatever aspect of the response it is have have everything that they need um, in terms of technical support, um, account support as well. I mean, there's we have we support everything like big customers, big companies to um, small volunteer projects. You know, the couple people in in Argentina who want to sh- want to put up a, a COVID dashboard suddenly or suddenly get millions and millions of hits because it's uh, you know it gets it gets featured in the mainstream media. We don't want um, a a volunteer effort like that to to go to get punished by success, and so we support <laughs> that in that result uh, that that way as well. Um, yeah, if I could talk a lot about like the other ways that our tools have been used, uh, it's certainly grown beyond um, beyond the uh, dashboards as well. Yeah, no, this is really exciting. I mean, obviously, it's like knowing where you are, like I said, is it will help you understand your risk and, and whether or not you should modify behavior in some some sort of uh, fashion. But it's really exciting to hear the kind of level of effort that you all put into helping um, various volunteer organizations uh, and uh, governmental organizations like the CDC um, and others try to get a better sense of the geographical representation of the data uh, going forward. So that's very encouraging. <clears throat> yeah. And then once you, of course, once you know where incidence is, there's all of the, the impacts and the effects that have, that have touched everything in our, our life. So for example, we worked really closely with uh, world central kitchen um, to, who have been standing up a food distribution um, across the country, mm-hmm. oftentimes in coordination with, with schools in coordination with, yeah. with restaurants. And we did a, um, Worked very closely with them on a big data collection exercise to, for idea, we were aiming to every school district in the country to like, can we build a database of what the details of the feeding programs in that place? Because mm. you have some places yes. like here in DC with breakfast and lunch, yep. other places were doing all three meals and having that level of detail was important as well as where they were, you know, working with local partners and uh, food banks and, and restaurants to distribute food as, as well. So the, you know, the economic impacts, uh, we, Urban Institute used, uh, used Mapbox to show the impact on, um, unemployment claims and they did some analysis to determine what of the unemployment claims that are coming in at a county level how much of these can we attribute now to, you know, to COVID-19 impact and what, and specifically what industries are being, being affected? Because yeah. we know as well, as like, it's not, it, the impact is uneven. Um, yes. And to others like, you know, next strain who are, you know, are, are tracking um, all the different, different strains of the, of the virus and its geographic spread there, we've worked with them to help them uh, visualize that spread using, using uh, our tools. It goes beyond visualization well, as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've named two, two of our favorite, uh, people. I mean, uh, both, uh, you know, John Brownstein at HealthMap up in Harvard and, uh, Trevor Bedford at, uh, University of Washington or the Fred Hutchinson at, uh, in, in Seattle. Two of our favorite people. We love what they're doing and we love that you're supporting what they're doing because it's pretty high impact work. So we really appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, for us, it's, uh, <laughs> It's natural <laughs> to, to support um, <laughs> folks who are doing good work, and it's not um, 
it's easy for us to, uh, you know, to, for things that we know really well and to, uh, to lend a hand. And that's, that's touched on things like there's been a lot of interesting work around social distancing and, um, Mm -hmm. and sidewalks. There was a, there was a, a, a project that took open data from, uh, New York City and, uh, which had some estimates of the sidewalk width, um, around, you know, on Manhattan. And you can imagine there are many sidewalks that are much, mm-hmm. uh, much less than six feet wide. And, yes. um, this is the kind of, you know, that kind of visualization we saw picked up in other places as well. And it's a very, um, useful advocacy tool for going to local government and saying, Hey, we need to have more open spaces. Maybe roads need to be, um, need to be, uh, just open to pedestrian traffic only so that people can be outside, but still travel safely. Other kind, every country has different, you know, every place has a different set of regulations. In Spain, there was a, there was a regulation of like only being able to travel like one kilometer from your, from your home. Um, mm-hmm. not, most people will not know exactly how far one kilometer is from their home. And so there was a, a very popular tool to, to visualize that. Um, to things like, I mean, you, you remember all the, the shortages of, uh, of supplies, of toilet paper. Yes. And, yes. Um, yes. So there, there are a number of tools for like, for people to report on, uh, TP Finder and our streets, our supplies, um, apps for anyone to report in on the, you know, how much, uh, toilet paper is on the shelf in our, in your local store, um, so that you would know where to go and to limit your exposure if you, um, if you needed to pick things up. So the wow. number of ways that things got, you know, our, our visualization tools, but also like our, our mobility, our accessibility analysis tools mm-hmm. have been picked up as really interesting. World Bank did a, a project in several countries, um, including Senegal. They took, um, data sets that from, we from healthsites.io, which is data on the location of health facilities mapped in OpenStreetMap, but extracted um, and it made available for, for other uses. Took that data. They took population data, I believe from some of Facebook's and, uh, the Earth Institute's work on, um, on, uh, refining, mm-hmm. um, populate, grid population data. And from determining where the population centers were, where all the hospitals were, they used our matrix API to analyze for every place in the country. How far is it to the nearest hospital? And said, where is there, which places are, um, are like, where is healthcare inaccessible, essentially? Yeah. Which then leads to, you know, the World Bank thinking about what sort of investments should we make? Um, oh, so brilliant. More yeah. healthcare availability. For universal healthcare. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's, I mean, it's the vast array of ways that, um, Maps and location uh, services can be helpful is is uh, very impressive. Um, one one thing that you you didn't um, talk too much about, but I know that it's been having um, a fairly outsized impact right now. About is because we're all carrying around mobile devices with us, and that's you know, and that generates um, you know a digital trail of where we've been and where we're going, and um, helps us understand you know and, and people using ad tech data are using that information to tar- micro target ads to us or um, understand our behavior patterns. Um, 
how have you seen these kinds of mobility data being used uh, for and and what kinds of services have you been providing for those kinds of data? Um, I know that early in the outbreak they were being used to try to understand adherence to the social distancing or the the stay at home mandates like you had mentioned in some of your examples. But uh, can you talk a little bit more about the mobility data and what you guys are doing with that? Yeah, well, that's that's where we we started um, early on in, in the outbreak. We have already invested a lot of effort in um, taking fully anonymized data, which is collected from applications which use Mapbox um, on on mobile devices, for producing um, traffic data estimates, um, both historic and real time, and you could see very you know very clear patterns. Um, Aligned, you know, aligned to the road network of the impact of um, of lockdowns and closures and, and, and quarantines around the world. And so we worked with folks like BuzzFeed to show the to basically illustrate that change by taking our traffic data, um, the result of all this you know, millions uh, of of uh, sensors, um, show the show the impact. But we realized there was more, you know, there's more that you can you can obviously do with that kind of data than what we primarily have done with it, which is align it to the road network in order to get estimates of, of speed. And um, by processing it differently, which is something we've always wanted to do, um, but what's, you know, with, with COVID-19, it, I think mobility data in general, the, the, the use of it and the, the, the landscape of what's possible and what's being tried was opened up really um Really rapidly. And so we uh, shifted gears and invested a lot of effort into how can we process all of these, this anonymous telemetry that we're getting from, um, you know, many, many users are traveling like over half a billion miles every day, um, to in a way which would be useful for, um, for researchers who are looking at what is the, the impact of, of COVID on mobility and then vice versa, of course. And so I think that's was, that's where really the, sh- the shift has 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 come um, from the early days. Is um, first is like, wow, let's things really have changed, and you can see it in how we how we're moving. And then as as time has gone on, um, we've continued to refine and process that data up to like very fine grained um, level. Like ultimately, about a hundred by hundred meter square, um, we can determine kind of a volume. Um, difference against the baseline of how much mobility there is in that in that place, and um, that is uh, it's interesting. There's a lot of different mobility data products out there, and there's all they all have different characteristics. And I think that's still something that um, researchers and users of this data are trying are getting their heads around. Like, where what are the strengths and weaknesses of all these various data sets? It's not only how it's processed and made available. Some sometimes it's linked to points of interest. Sometimes it's gridded. Sometimes it's aggregated up to different administrative boundaries. Um, and you also have great differences in coverage and based off of the, the pool of users where you're drawing data from. So some, you know, some is only from the U.S. or Mapbox. We, you know, wherever there's Mapbox applications in use, we're, we're getting data. So it's like, there are some countries around the world, which you wouldn't expect, where we have really strong data, and there's some where it's, you know, it, it's still growing. Um, and so we've learned a lot about where that, where, um, how to process, how to 
where the data is is useful and for what sorts of things. And it's really very much um, a work in progress. I would think there's a few things that have been um, that have come up, which have been uh, interesting and I think still still exploring. Um, There's we actually have a there's a a partner of ours in um, in Manila called Thinking Machines, who do a lot of amazing work with um, with machine learning. They're looking at um, our mobility data, Mapbox movement data in Singapore, and along with um, detailed data on you know other events and uh, case counts and other other driving factors, really exploring what are what is the interrelation between changes at movement at a very fine grained um, location detail and the you know, the the public health impacts. In general, what we've, we've, we've seen is that there's a, um, there's a bit of, as, particularly in the U.S., where we've looked at, at this closely, the mobility is kind of a leading indicator of, um, of increasing cases. So when, um, you know, when the lockdown started to happen, mobility decreased, um, you would see continued rise in cases, but then as time went on, uh, they would fall again. Mm-hmm. As mobility has started to increase, and in, you know, across, in, in places across the country, there's a really clear pattern of like a number of like you know, three weeks later is what you start when mobility starts to increase. You start to see the the increase in in the case count. Um, my hope has <laughs> have been with researchers who have been using our our data as it start to build um, predictive tools that could show you know yeah. give some warning. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hey, this is, this is, um, uh, going to happen. Obviously that, you know, that, that hasn't, um, been the, at the forefront of, of, uh, decisions made on, um, on how much to open up. But I'm hopefully now the message came through that we need to really look very closely at, um, at the impacts. And I think this is, could be a really key kind of data for, um, you know, in addition to all the other indicators that are being tracked, like, Looking in detail at how people are moving around and where, yeah, not volume yeah. of mobility, but where are they going and how are people congregating together, particularly in like, you know, in, in business districts or particular, you know, particular commercial areas, you would yeah. focus on, on those yeah. places and make sure yeah. that the, where there is mobile, increased mobility, that there are precautions taken so that people stay safe even, even when they do have to go someplace. Yeah, it has been very interesting to see the correlations between, you know, transmissibility measures like, you know, are not or are effective and um, the mobility patterns in particular places. Um, you know, I've seen uh, the ones that I'm most familiar with are in the state of Washington looking at mm-hmm. exactly how you described it when you had the um, stay at home orders put into place. People stopped moving as at, you know, fairly um significantly but as they started moving more the transmissibility started going up as well now obviously it's all correlative and there are challenges with with making those correlations as well because of you know if you are driving around a lot in your car but you don't come in contact with anybody else your transmission you know potential for transmitting to someone else is going to be very low but your mobility will be very high 
so obviously there's challenges with using that data, but it, it does seem, at least on the surface, and obviously it needs to be scrutinized more heavily, but it does seem on the surface to at least be sensible or reasonable to uh, use some of those as a proxy for um, understanding how we're coming into contact with one another. Yeah, that's exactly why we've focused on trying to produce data at a really fine-grained level where there's you can still get quality signal out of it. Essentially, it's about a you know between 100 to 150 meters square um, area, and that's that's kind of our our unit of measurement. And what's at that kind of granularity, what you can do is exactly as, as you say, like you could filter out like yeah, people are driving on um, you know on the on the expressway. Whether you know if there's a lot of mobility there, that's that's fine. It's not it's not having impact. So you can, with that level of granularity, filter out areas where you know there's already a lot of movement, but it's it's safe movement. And where are there areas where there's where if there's increased mobility, like um, you know downtown commercial areas, or where you know the the um, park parking lot of a Walmart, or um, even you know we were able to pick up things like um, uh, where there were really lengthy lines for um, food pantries and food distribution. So those you know often were people in their in their cars, um, but Huge backup. So you can, with that fidelity of data, essentially, um, I think it's, it, there's a lot, you're right, there's like a lot to explore and figure out because it's, um, it's very noisy. Um, and there's a lot of different factors and it's hard to, you know, universally tell like what's the relationship is, it varies. There's so many different, um, inputs that, that, that drive, um, transmissibility. But having the, the ability to like really dig in at that level of detail, I think is something we're, we feel positive about and we're, we're excited to work with more researchers on exploring. It does feel like though that mobility was sort of the, the point of opening up to get people back to work and back into the community. And so I, I think another thing I picked up on that I heard you say was really interesting was understanding some of the secondary consequences like lines at the food pantry that could help us to better understand kind of the total impacts of the outbreak and our policy response. I think that's a really interesting approach that hasn't been incorporated as much into our thinking. Yeah, there's, and there's been so much um, really, you know, people are are stuck at home and want to make a, a contribution in the world that I, I live a lot in, in the open data world. There has been a lot of different efforts to, to start to collect all of this data, um, like, uh, you know, like all the the policies uh, around closures. Um, uh, at, a, at a global scale, I actually think that's uh, John Hopkins was or a group of John Hopkins doing that work. Um, and uh, the more, of course, the more data you add, the more you know, the more complication complicated of a of an analysis you have to do in order to um, to draw all of the relationships. So I'm uh, it's still definitely a work in progress, is what I what I think. But I'm I'm hopeful that like with all the attention and um, all the willingness to like work. Um, collaboratively and openly that the, that continues and we'll, we'll start to have a better a better handle on um, on all of the impacts in the near future yeah before before we go to it's like you've mentioned humanitarian open street map a, a few times 
I am a huge fan of what they do, but just for some of those, uh, uh, some of the listeners that might not know what they are and who and what they do, could you just give a real quick uh, description? Because I think there's such a good group and such a, um, providing such a great service. Yeah. And they've, and, and there's definitely been work that humanitarian open stream map team or hot, uh, for short has done related to, uh, to COVID-19 as well. Well, it, Started based on the insight that like you can update OpenStreetMap really fast, and if there's some kind of crisis, um, in the original conception of like an earthquake or a hurricane or flooding event, the situation on the ground is going to have could have changed rapidly, or you could have something that's happened in a place which has not been um, ever mapped before. Uh, for instance, during the, the the last great global pandemic, the, the Ebola crisis, um, there were parts of West Africa, which, you know, in cities literally had never been mapped, you know, not, not, not in the past and certainly not now. And using, um, you know, basis in, in OpenStreetMap and that technology and that, that community, um, leveraging both satellite imagery that's, that's made available from all major providers to digitize roads and buildings and then work totally openly and collaboratively with folks on the ground who are then adding more details about like what's passable or not, or um, damage to take a play that what that, you know, what that building that you see from a satellite actually is. Um, if it's a school that can be used as a, as a, a staging site and, and um, evacuating during the disaster, all of that data together is, um, is made available and through relationships and partnerships to humanitarian responders. Um, and that's, that's kind of where, where hot sits is like between, between what on the, on the, the surface are very different worlds of a, you know, a volunteer community, which, um, has a lot of uh, in common with Wikipedia, but it, you know, humanitarian response and crisis response, which is, uh, you know, organized in a, in a very different way. So it tries to under, you know, it's a group that tries to understand both of those worlds and make sure that like the best of this civic technology, this open data is, is put to good use by understanding all of the really difficult, um, uh, data situations and map production issues in, you know, a place like Kathmandu after the Nepal earthquake in 2015. So this has been really fascinating. I really appreciate you taking time to talk, talk with us more about the services and the technology that you're providing because as we've talked about throughout this discussion, location, 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 it really drives a lot of the response. If, if people were interested in learning more about you or the company, um, how would they get a hold of you? Well, our, our website is Mapbox. Dot com um, to learn more about our work directly on the community team is mapbox.com slash community. And from that page, you can get in touch with us. And whether you're interested to work with us or are interested to um, talk to another part of the company, I think that's the best way of getting in touch. Um, I'm happy to like make connections to our government team or to our various product teams if, if there's interest there or if there's something that we can do directly as um, as part of a community partnership, really happy to talk about that as well. Yeah, it's it's just been a delight talking with you today. You know, really appreciate taking the time to talk with us. Um, and um, it 
it's it's been um, yeah really interesting learning more about the company and what you guys are doing and the expanse of what you're doing. So thanks for taking the time. Really appreciate chatting with us. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for having me on and having a chance to talk through all this uh, all this work. Hope hope there's uh, more to come. Um, so thanks. And and Caitlin, as always, wonderful to be with you. Yep. Thanks so much. And thank you to the listeners for tuning in. Be safe, be kind, be well. Thank you for listening to today's episode as a part of the Be Next Outbreak Analytics and Forecasting series. Please make sure to subscribe to the IQT podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Podbean to be kept up to date on new episodes. For more information on Be Next, visit www.bnext.org. A special thank you to Carrie Sessing and the absolutely wonderful Kristen Zender from IQT's marketing team and to our friends at HeartCast Media for serving as our recording studio. Thanks for listening and take care.